0: God. All right, I want to take you back this morning over 2,000 years. I want us to go back into the Old Covenant, back before Jesus was born, back before Bethlehem, back before the crucifixion. Uh, there are two covenants in the kingdom of God. There's the Old Covenant, and then there's the New Covenant. You and I are under the New Covenant. The Bible says the New Covenant is a better covenant, and that it has better promises. Well, I want to take you back into the Old Covenant, and I want you to imagine this morning that we live under the Old Covenant. And I want to talk to you about two different sacrifices that they would make. There were many different kinds of sacrifices that they offered in the old covenant. But I want to talk to you about two. I want to talk to you about the sin offering. And then I want to talk to you about the burnt offering. Anytime you would sin, okay? And, and we've all sinned and we all do sin. But in the old covenant, when they would sin, they would have to go to the priest and they would have to take an offering. And there were three types of offerings that you could give. If you had cattle, you could bring a calf. Now, I talked to you about, you remember about when Gideon offered his father's best bull? Now, they didn't offer bulls regularly. That was a bigger sacrifice. But when you would sin, if you had cattle, you could bring a calf. Okay, if you had lambs or or sheep, you could bring a lamb then if you didn't have any of those things, you could bring a dove. And do you remember in the New Testament, you remember, of course, I know you do, where Jesus drove the money changers out of the temple. Y'all know that story in the New Testament. And he said that my, house, God, my father's house should be a house of prayer and you've made it a den of thieves. Well, what they were doing is they were selling doves to people to offer as sacrifices. That's what they were doing. And the reason Jesus was upset, he wasn't upset because they were selling doves. He was upset because they had positioned themselves in the temple between themselves and God. So basically, when you would go into the temple, it's like, have you ever been to Cracker Barrel? Okay, and you have to go through the gauntlet of the store to get to the restaurant? Seriously, right? I'm not picking on Cracker Barrel, but right, if you've ever been there, you've got to go look at all the items first to buy before you get to go in and eat. Well, that's what they were doing in the Old Testament. They'd positioned themselves between God and the people, and that's what upset Jesus. Uh, I've had people ask me before. You know, is it okay to have a coffee bar in church? Aren't you, aren't you like the money changers? And we're not like the money changers because it's not our heart, okay? It's not our heart to get your money. And then when you do spend money in the coffee bar, it goes into youth and kids ministry. So it's not, it's not the same thing. But he was upset with them. Well, you would bring your offering, okay? Now, I've got an object lesson this morning. Don, would you come and bring your lamb? Okay, imagine this morning that I'm a priest in the Old Testament, and Don is a Jewish father, and he has a family and he sinned, okay? doesn't matter what the sin is, he sinned. So he would come to the temple and I would be the priest and he would bring a lamb, okay? And what he would do is he would give me that lamb and the first thing that I would do is I would examine it. And I would look at it. I would feel of it. I'd make sure it didn't have any sores. I would make sure that there wasn't any kind of problems with it. I'd make sure that its legs weren't broken. I'd look at it and make sure that it wasn't sick. Because you couldn't bring a sick offering. You couldn't bring an offering that had a broken leg. That's why Gideon offered his father's best bull. So he had to bring an offering that was acceptable. Okay, now do you remember when Jesus went to trial before Pilate? Pilate said... I find no fault in this man. He tried to tell the Jews, let's not crucify him. He hadn't done anything wrong. What Pilate was doing is he was saying that Jesus, as the sacrifice, is okay. He's perfect to be uh, sacrificed. Now, the Jews didn't like him, but Pilate was saying, I find no fault with him. So I would take Don's lamb, and I would look at it, and I would make sure there was nothing wrong with it, and then I would deem it as an acceptable sacrifice. Then I would hold it at Don's hands, and he would put his hands on the lamb's head. And what, was, what is he doing? He's doing two things. Okay, he's identifying with the sacrifice, and then his sin, his guilt, is being transferred to this innocent animal. And then after he would put his hands on it, he would let go of it. I would take it as a priest, and then it would be killed, and it would be offered as a sacrifice. The innocent lamb paid for Don's guilt, paid for his sin, and he got to go free. Now, in the Old Testament, they had to do this over And over and over. They did it all the time. And the Bible very plainly says in the New Testament that the blood of bulls and goats cannot wash away sin. What the sin, what this lamb's blood did is it covered his sins until the next time. And then the next time he would sin, he would bring another offering. Now, if he couldn't afford a lamb, then he would bring a dove. And the the priest would do the very same thing. He would hold the dove, and Don would put his hands on it. And Don's sin would be transferred to the dove or transferred to the calf or transferred to the lamb. And then the the lamb, which was innocent, this lamb hadn't done anything, would be sacrificed. And then he would go free. Okay, you can be seated, brother. All right, I'm going to use you in just a minute again. Now, let me go to Scripture, and let me show you some amazing things in Scripture. I'm going to read to you first in John chapter 10. Now, here's what I want to do this morning. That's the example of how they did it in the Old Testament. Jesus is your lamb, and he was offered for your sin. And the Bible says, I'm going to show you, once and for all. In the Old Testament, Don's sins were covered. In the New Testament, they're washed away they're gone okay it's not like if you've ever felt like before as a christian when you made jesus as your savior you still have this darkness or maybe this evil in you and it's kind of like you've put a white t-shirt over a dark heart that's not christianity your heart has been washed clean and washed pure and you're a new person the bible in fact says you're a new creature okay let me read to you out of john chapter 10 starting with verse 17 Jesus is speaking. He says this. The Father loves me because I sacrifice my life so I might take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. Now stop right there. I want you to see something very important. Okay, this lamb was sacrificed for Don's sin. Jesus, your lamb, was sacrificed for your sin. Here's what I want you to see. Have you ever heard anybody say, well, the Jews murdered Jesus, okay? Jesus was not murdered. It says right there in Scripture that he voluntarily offered himself. He voluntarily laid his life down for you. He said, no one can take my life, all right? You need to understand that because I've, I've heard people say that before. Well, you know, the Jews murdered Jesus or, or the Roman. I've heard people say, you know, the Roman Empire murdered Jesus. Jesus was not murdered. Jesus voluntarily gave himself as a sacrifice. Any time during that process, he could have decided not to die. And I've said this before. What held Jesus on the cross? Love, not nails. See, all Jesus had to do was throw back his cloak, pull out his lightsaber, and he could have left and killed everybody there. Y'all know Jesus is a Jedi, right? Come Come on, right, yeah, all right. Yeah, Gabriel and Michael, the archangels, were there. Nobody could see him. And all it says in the scripture that he could have called 10,000 angels. All he had to do was say, Father, I don't want to do this. They're not worth it. I'm out of here. 10,000 angels will have appeared out of nowhere. They would have been there, and the Roman Empire would have been done away with. But he did it because he loves us. All right, let me show you another verse. I'm going to go to John chapter 1, verse 29. John the Baptist is at the river, and he's baptizing people, and Jesus is coming, and he sees him. Listen to what he says. He says, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All right, now, what I want you to see in that verse is Jesus was your Lamb. Now, he's physically not a lamb, and we know that. But he died just like the lambs in the Old Testament did. He died, and he died and took your place. Let me go to another verse. I'm going to go to Revelation 13, 8. Now, this is after... Uh, the rapture. What's the rapture? Well, the rapture is where Jesus is going to come for the church. And when he takes us away, then the seven-year tribulation period begins. This verse is after that has happened. And this is the tribulation. Listen to what it says. And all the people who belong to this world worshipped the beast. Now, what does the Bible say? The Bible says you and I live in the world, but we're not of the world. Do you understand what that means? See, my citizenship's in heaven. Now, I'm in the world. I'm on the earth, but I'm not of the world. What's the world? Well, the world is our culture. The world is the people that we rub elbows with every day that don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. You and I are in the world, but we're not of the world. So that's who he's talking about. He says, and all the people who belong to this world worshipped the beast. They are the ones whose names were not written in the book of life, That belongs to the lamb who was slaughtered before the foundation of the world. Let me show you a couple of things about this I want you to understand. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I know that Will knows Jesus Christ as his Savior, and when he received Christ as his Savior, his name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. My name is in that book. Gabriel's name is in that book. You can open that book. You can turn to my page, and it says Rusty Gray. Harold Gray, my father, is there. Luella Gray, my mother, is there. My grandma, I was thinking this morning during praise and worship, my Granny Gray is in there, and it probably says Granny right under her name. Okay, I had to even think about what her name is, okay? Okay, her name is Anne, all right? But to me, she's always was granny, right? All right, if you know Jesus as your Savior, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. There are two books in heaven. There's the book of life. That determines if you get into heaven. All you have to do to get into heaven is know Jesus as your Savior. The minute you pray and ask him into your heart, your name is written. The other book is the book of deeds. What's the book of deeds? Well, that's the book that is written down what you do in this life. Now, all the bad things you've done are washed away by the blood of Jesus, right? Right? There's no movie, right? We're not going to watch your 8-millimeter movie. That's how old I am. I'm thinking 8-millimeter, right? Uh, Of all the bad things you did, we're not going to do that. That's washed away by the blood. But there is a record of the good things you've done in life. Some of you have a few pages. Some of you have a whole big old thick book. That's the truth, right? Right? It's the truth. That's the two books in heaven. Now, what does it say? It says those who worship the beast, their name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. The book of the Lamb who was slaughtered before the foundation of the world. What does that mean? Well, Jesus was slaughtered or died at the cross. And just like this Lamb was given for dawn, Jesus, your Lamb, was given for you at the cross. And here's what's interesting. It says before the foundation of the world. What in the world does that mean? Here's what it means. Before you were born, God had a plan. That should encourage you. Before the world was formed, before you were born, God had a plan. Before Adam and Eve ever sinned, before they were ever run out of the garden, before things ever got bad, God had a plan. Listen, there's nothing you can do, there's nothing you have done in the past that God doesn't have a plan to take care of you and to redeem you and take care of you. Amen? All right, now let me read to you another verse. I'm going to go to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. Now, I'm talking about how Jesus is your lamb. Remember, Don, his sin, he brings his lamb. I examine it. It's accepted just like Jesus was. He puts his hands on it, and his sin is transferred to the lamb, and then he gets to go free. Listen to what it says in Hebrews 10, 14 about Jesus. For by that one offering, what offering? the offering of Jesus at the cross, the offering at Calvary. For by that one offering, he forever made us perfect, those who are being made holy. Now stop right there. Golly, leave that verse up if you would. Is that not amazing? Now, now, Now don't miss this. Jesus, your lamb, was offered one time. One time on the cross. See, in the Old Testament, they offered the offerings time after time after time. Jesus only died one time. And it says he forever made you perfect. Everybody say forever. Forever. What does forever mean? Does that include tomorrow? How about next week? How about next year? Okay, listen, you've been redeemed and forgiven. It says forever made perfect. Now, the word perfect does not mean that you don't make mistakes. That's not what it means. What it means is maturity. It means that you're growing. Jesus gave his blood to bring you into the kingdom to mature you and to make you holy. Now, let me explain something to you about holy. When I was a kid growing up, I had some cousins who went to a certain church. And the girls were not allowed to wear makeup because it was considered ungodly. It was considered worldly. And so my girl cousins who were older than me, they had a car. I didn't have a driver's license yet. When they would go to high school, they kept their makeup under the front seat of their car. And when they would get to school, they would take their makeup out, take it into the bathroom, put their makeup on, get all pretty, go put their makeup back under the seat. And then when school was out, they'd go in the bathroom, they'd wash their faces, take their makeup off and go home. Because if they were caught wearing makeup, they were in trouble because that was worldly. All right? Wearing their hair a certain way was worldly. Going to the movies was worldly. I grew up in a church where you didn't dance because that was worldly. Because it might stir up, you know, if you dance with a girl, it might stir up something else, you know? And do I need to keep going, right? You know, we're, you know, for all line and pretty soon we're thinking something else, right? Okay? It was considered worldly. Okay? All right, now listen. You know what those people are trying to do? Well, they're trying to be holy, Listen, Christianity is not outside in. It's inside out. You see, when you receive Jesus as your Savior, that verse says right there that by Jesus offering himself as your lamb, you were made holy. Now, don't miss this. Holiness is not performance. Holiness is position. Now, I want you to understand this. When I accepted Jesus as my Savior... I was brought into the kingdom, and at that moment, I was made holy. Have you ever heard anybody preach, what we need is holiness. What we need is holiness. You ever heard anybody preach like that? They don't know beans about what they're talking about. Because Gabriel is holy. Rusty is holy. Nana is holy. Because they know Jesus is their Savior, and so are you. What does holy mean? All it means is set apart. That's all it means, to be set apart. We've designated this place, this building, as a holy place to meet with God. Greg Birkenfeld used to always say, we could knock this wall out, and this would make a great hay barn. And it would make a good hay barn. But we've designated it as a place to worship God. Listen, you can make your recliner holy. You can make your bedroom holy. You can make your living room holy. You can make your pickup holy. All you have to do is designate it as a place of worship. You get in your truck on the way to work or you're hauling cattle driving down the road and you say, Father, I love you and I thank you for your grace and I thank you for your mercy in my life. You have made that place holy and God's presence is there. Amen? All right, now let me read you another verse. I want to go to Hebrews 7, 27. I'm talking about Jesus being your lamb. Verse 27 says, unlike those other high priests. Remember, I was pretending to be an Old Testament priest. He does not need to offer sacrifices every day. See, Don would sin, and he'd have to bring a lamb all the time. They did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of the people. See, if I'm the priest, I had to offer a lamb first for me because of my own sin. Then after I've made my sacrifice, then Don or any of you could bring your sacrifice. Listen to what he says. It says, but Jesus did this once. Once for all, when he offered himself as a sacrifice for the people's sins. Now, don't miss this. This will will change your life. Jesus' sacrifice is good for your life, past, present, and future. He died for every person on the earth, and he did it once, and he did it forever, and he did it for all. And that sacrifice never has to be made again. All you have to do is identify with the sacrifice. When Don would put his hands on the lamb, he's identifying with the sacrifice. When you say, Jesus, come into my heart and be my savior, it's as if you're putting your hands on the lamb and your sin is transferred to Jesus and you go free once and forever. Listen, there's no sacrifice you can make to pay for your sin. You know what the church calls that? Penance. What's penance? Well, I'm going to start getting up at four in the morning and pray. Why am I getting up at four in the morning? Because I want to suffer and I want to impress God. And God will see that I'm not a morning person, but I'm up at four in the morning. Oh, Lord, I feel so miserable, but I'm up because I love you. And I'm so sorry for what I've done. And I know I'm a scumbag. And Lord, please forgive me, right? Or you stay up till one in the morning. Maybe you're not a night person, but you make yourself stay up. Or you fast all the time. There's nothing wrong with fasting, okay? I had somebody say one time that they only fasted on feast days. What does that mean, Pastor? What's a feast day in America? Thanksgiving is a feast day. And this brother told me I only fast on Thanksgiving. Why? Because it means more. Because I'm suffering more. Everybody's feasting, and I'm going hungry, and God is pleased. That's called penance. God does not accept it. Well, then what does that mean? That means it's already been accepted because of the blood of the Lamb. You are forgiven this morning. Jesus' sacrifice has cleansed you from all of your sin, your past sin, your present sin, and your future sin because of the Lamb. Are you with me? All right, I want to read you one more verse. Let me find out where I'm at. Hebrews 10, 10. Listen to what this says. For God's will was for us to be made holy. Now stop right there. Have you ever thought about what God's will is for you? I wonder what God's will for my life is. There's a lot of preaching of that in church and in the body of Christ. What's God's will? Well, I can tell you the scripture says God's will for you is for you to be made holy. How are you made holy? Well, I go, I'm made holy by not going to the movie and by not wearing makeup. That's not true. Right, You're made holy by the sacrifice. Listen to what it says. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. It's been done. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sin. But our high priest offers himself to God as a single sacrifice for sin, good for all time. He sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. Now stop right there. Imagine this morning that I'm the priest, and I show up here Monday at 8 o'clock, and there's a line of people down the sidewalk waiting to get in. And you come one by one, and you bring your sacrifice. And you got to get—if you got to be at work at a certain time, you get here early to get in line. It's like at Power Kids, we dismiss at seven forty-five, and the line is six blocks long. And so, if you want to be first, you get there early to get in line. Because if you don't, and you try to cheat, you have to deal with Monica. And she looks sweet, but just try to cut the line. Amen. Or, or Cherie looks sweet, but try to cut the line. Okay. So, so you got to go to work so you get here early and you start coming through here and you bring your sacrifice. Every day you have to show up here and bring your sacrifice. Now, I've got a, I went to Bible school with a guy who was a born-again Jew. He was a Jew, born a Jew, raised a Jew. He received Christ as his Savior, and he was in Bible school, and he was a mechanic. And here's what he told me. He said, you never went to see the rabbi without your checkbook. You always took your checkbook. You never went without any money. So you bring your animal sacrifice and you bring your checkbook. And I'm here to receive your animal. I examine it and I think, well, this animal's got a little sore right here. Take it home and bring me another one. So you go home and get a better one. And I say, well, this one looks good. I hold it up. You put your hands on it. Your sin is transferred to the animal. I hand it back to another priest, and they sacrifice it in the back. And you have to do that day in and day out. Jesus paid for your sin once and for all. And the Bible says for you to come boldly to the throne of grace to receive help in the time of need. And the only sacrifice the New Testament talks about is the sacrifice of praise. You are welcome to come in this place. You don't have to bring your offering. You don't have to bring your checkbook. You don't, you're not forced to do any of that. Now, we, you give. I give because I want to, not because I have to. And I come in and I say, Father, <laughs> love came down and rescued me. Man, love came down and saved me. I'm delivered and I'm ransomed because of what Jesus has done. Now, Don, would you come here? Let me show you with the time that I have left, the second sacrifice. All right. Don has come and brought the first lamb, and it's the sin offering. Now he comes and brings the second lamb, and it's the burnt offering. So we do the very same thing. I examine it. I make sure it's okay, it's not diseased, it's perfect, it's in good health, and everything is good. And then I turn it toward him, and he puts his hands on it. This is the burnt offering. The innocence of the animal is transferred to Don. The New Testament calls it righteousness. In the first offering, his guilt is transferred to the animal. In the second offering, the animal's innocence is transferred to him. Now, listen, this is amazing. Hang on to that lamb. You got it, brother? Here's what's amazing. When you say, Jesus, come into my heart, your sin is transferred to Jesus. And his right standing, his righteousness, his holiness, his perfection is transferred to you. It's the great exchange. That's true Christianity. It's not receiving Jesus as my Savior and spending the rest of my life trying to manage sin, spending the rest of my life trying to measure up, spending the rest of my life trying to pay for the things that I've done. I give him my guilt. He gives me his purity, and I'm born again and in the family of God once and forever and for all time. Wow, that changes things, doesn't it? All right, let me read it to you in Hebrews. Thank you, brother. Let me read it to you in Hebrews. I'm sorry, it's Ephesians, Ephesians 5, 2. It says, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Okay, let me explain to you what that means. In the burnt offering, Don would place his hands on it, and the innocence, the purity transferred to him. Then we would kill the animal and we would burn it on the altar. And you know when you burn something, there's smoke. The Bible says in the Old Testament that God could smell the offering and it was a sweet aroma. Now what in the world does that mean? That means God recognized that that offering was paying for the people's sin and they were being made pure. When Jesus died on the cross, he's your burnt offering. It says so right there in Ephesians. And that God could smell the offering of Jesus Christ. And it was a sweet aroma to God because he knew your sin was being paid for. He knew that his righteousness was being transferred to you. And Jesus is your burnt offering. So when you said yes to Jesus, Jesus is your lamb. And my sin, my unrighteousness, my guilt... Listen, guys, you don't go to hell for what you do. You go to hell for what you are. What do you mean, pastor? You are a sinner before Christ. You're lost. But when I said, when the pastor came to my house when I'm 12 years old, when the teenagers come in here and Kurt preaches the gospel and says, how many of you want Jesus as your Savior? And they all raise their hands. They are identifying with the Lamb. And when you identify with the lamb, your guilt is transferred to him and his righteousness is transferred to you. That's how come you're holy. That's how come you're perfect. That's how come you're pure. Not because of anything you have or haven't done, but because of what the lamb has done. Now let me show you one more thing and we're gonna stop. Don, would you come one more time? <clears throat> when Don would bring his offering, isn't that an adorable lamb? Isn't it amazing what you can find online? (laughs) Here's what the priest did not do. Well, I need to make sure you're acceptable. I need to make sure you're clean behind the ears. And I've got to examine you and make sure you're worthy to bring an offering. No, they never once ever did that. The man is not examined. The lamb is. And see, the Christianity you've been taught is you constantly examine yourself and we constantly examine each other. And we constantly hold up that yardstick to see if you measure up. Listen, it was never about the man measuring up. It's about the sacrifice measuring up. Jesus measured up. Jesus was qualified and your sin was transferred to him and his righteousness was transferred to you. It's not about you measuring up. It's about the sacrifice measuring up. The man was not examined. You remember when I taught? Thank you, brother. You remember when I taught on communion several weeks ago? And it says in there about being unworthy. And we've all been taught man, you don't receive communion if you're unworthy. Those of you that have a Catholic background, we've talked about it. You were warned, you were taught. Man, don't you dare put that cup to your mouth if you're unworthy because something bad's going to happen to you. It was about you measuring up. That's not even what it means. The word unworthy means common. And what the story is in communion is don't treat the cup and don't treat the bread as a common, ordinary meal. As soon as we leave here, I'm going to go home and eat, and I'm going to have a great meal. But it's a common, ordinary meal. But when I receive that cup and that bread, that's the body and the blood of Christ, and there's nothing common and ordinary about it. And when I understand it's not, I receive life and healing and grace and strength. It's not about me being unworthy. Folks, the blood of the sacrifice has made me worthy. Monica's been made worthy. Every one of you in this room have been made worthy. You ever heard anybody pray that? Oh, Lord, help me. I'm so unworthy. When you do that, you know what you're doing? You're forcing the blood into the dirt and saying that it has no power. And I know if you've ever done that or heard anybody, I'm not trying to be mean or hateful. Just understand, the lamb paid the price once and for all and I'm forgiven, and I'm in the kingdom, and I'm a son, and I'm righteous, and I'm on this journey with God, and He's growing and developing and maturing me, and I'm finding out every single day who I am, and I'm better. I feel better. I have more peace. I have more hope. I have more joy because the sacrifice has been paid. Amen? Would y'all stand with me, and let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you for the wonderful people in this service this morning. I want to thank you for this Memorial Day weekend. And it's so amazing to think that just as you gave your life for our freedom, men and women in the military gave their life for our freedom. Lord, I pray your life, your grace, your strength over us today that you'd help us to see that you're the perfect lamb. You're the sacrifice and that you paid it all, you paid it once, you paid it for all, and it's done, and we get to go free. Thank you, Father. Thank you for freedom. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for hope. Father, I thank you as we go out of this place and we go into the rest of this weekend that your grace is on us. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, hey, I love y'all. Y'all be blessed. Have a wonderful rest of your holiday weekend.